0: I'm Debbie Giorgettis. Welcome to my show, America, Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Roger Stone versus Susan Rosenberg, the BLM, tyranny and immunity, Thomas Sowell, BLM, race and America, and Durham, Sullivan, justice must win. And on this Deep Dive Monday, of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. I am
1: Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth.
0: Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. I'm Debbie Like Likely saw, you all likely saw that President Trump chose to exercise his presidential authority and, and give an executive grant of clemency commuting the sentence of Roger Stone. I want to talk on this first five today about the difference between what President Trump chose to do with respect to Roger Stone versus what President Clinton chose to do with respect to a woman named Susan Rosenberg in 2001, at the very last day of President Clinton's presidency, what he did. But first, let's start with Roger Stone. A lot of terms being used, and they really don't make that much difference. But the basic idea of clemency—it's just an overarching term—and in clemency, you can do things like you can commute someone's sentence, uh, you can pardon them, you can forgive them uh, for the remainder of their sentence. Uh, commutation just means you're reducing a sentence. But what occurred with respect to Roger Stone is that he was about to be head off to, to head off to federal prison. As a result of the Mueller investigation and being prosecuted, but I want to be really clear about what Roger Stone was prosecuted for—the Mueller investigation. They uh, related to the whole Trump-Russia collusion hoax, the Russian collusion hoax. Because the Mueller team dug and dug and found absolutely nothing, came around. Then instead, the Mueller team decided to indict some Russians who, of course, live in Russia. They may have done a small amount of uh, interference in America's elections. Nothing related to the Trump campaign. Those Russians did things like buying Facebook ads and trying to manipulate social media. Nothing to do with Trump. Roger Stone, Trump affiliate, briefly involved in the Trump campaign, became an easy target for the Mueller team. To be clear, again, the investigation was supposed to be about whether or not President Trump colluded with the Russians in winning the election in 2016. Because after millions of dollars and years of investigation, the Mueller team found zip zero, on nothing, they turned to doing what is called prosecution for process crimes, meaning the very accusation they set out to prove, they could not prove. No proof at all. Could not find a shred of information, a shred of evidence that there was Trump-Russia collusion. But they managed in the course of the investigation, by the way they treated people, the way they uh, arm-twisted them, to eventually arrive at being able to prosecute people for process crimes, meaning crimes committed by the person, alleged to have been committed, not with respect to the wrongdoing about the supposed wrongdoing about the collusion hoax, but about their interaction with the federal justice system. So you had Roger Stone was convicted of one count of obstruction of a congressional investigation, uh, five counts of false statements to Congress, and one count of a tampering with a witness. All this related to their effort to get at him. So he, Roger Stone, was someone who was actually targeted by the Mueller team not for anything related to the farce of the Trump Russia occlusion hoax, but about the way they in, he interacted with the Mueller team as they were investigating. He was about to head off to prison. President Trump chose to commute his sentence. To, and I want to make sure, uh, use that term, just commute what he said. The executive order, which you can read online. In fact, you read it at our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, un, under uh, shows, drop down list of links you can read this, and it's actually a good read because unlike some uh, sentence, some issue, things that come from the government that would be an issuance of pardon uh, that are kind of legalistic and dry, this one gets punches right at the heart of what the Mueller team did. So in President Trump's decision, the press secretary released a statement regarding the executive grant of clemency for Roger Stone. The language used basically said Roger Stone it says, not basically, it says verbatim, Roger Stone is a victim of the Russia hoax that the left and its allies in the media perpetuated for years in an attempt to undermine the Trump presidency. There was never any collusion between the Trump campaign or the Trump administration with Russia. Such collusion was never anything other than a fantasy of partisans unable to accept the result of the 2016 election. He recounts basically in here that these are process crimes that he was convicted of and recounts how he was abused. I mean, the idea of what the Mueller team did to him, literally in their search warrants to be executed on his house, showed up at his house pre-dawn, like early morning with SWAT team rifles blazing. Broken, broke down the door stormed in the house scared the daylights of course out of roger stone and his wife all about process crimes nothing to do with the trump uh, the allegation of russia collusion and on top of that somehow magically cnn was there to film it all cnn just happened to be in the neighborhood And the early morning, pre-dawn hours of this raid on Roger Stone's house, CNN there to film it all, CNN swears, hey, we didn't get tipped off. No one told us a thing. We just happened to be there in Roger Stone's neighborhood. Right. So this is President Trump not just commuting a sentence where he can see that what happened to this man is that he, Roger Stone, was a victim of the Trump-Russia collusion. Not just hoax. Hoax is bad enough, but it's the ongoing intimidation, the ongoing determination of the left to undo the choice of the American people in the 2016 election, and so you had Trump commuting the sentence of Roger Stone, Robert Mueller. The not he was the in name. He was the special prosecutor if any watched his testimony when he was finally called in front of Congress, he clearly is not mentally together. We had people on this show actually mention that earlier that uh, even before the time of this hearing that uh, Robert Mueller uh, is not mentally collected, not, um, I don't know if senile is the right word, but not mentally with it. And so when he was testifying in front of Congress, he didn't understand the questions, He couldn't. he didn't know the evidence, he couldn't follow any of it. So it's not really Robert Mueller who did any of this in the Mueller investigation. But Mueller magically managed to write an op-ed about the Roger Stone commutation with a snarky line, he remains a convicted felon. So Mueller still trying to prop up the complete farce of the Mueller investigation of Russia collusion criticizing, of course, President Trump for commuting Roger Stone's sentence, and that's his big burn line. He remains a convicted felon. But the really troublesome aspect of that is that you had Rod Rosenstein, whom everyone somehow thinks is like a choir boy. He's often, well, you know, he's a good guy. He was kind of neutral. He is not. He was not a good guy. He was not neutral. Rod Rosenstein weighed in also on this commutation. And again, Roger Stone was convicted of process crimes, you know, interfering with a witness, uh, not being forthcoming in congressional uh, testimony. What you heard, or you got a tweet out of Rod Rosenstein, he says, Stone, in very ominous terms, Stone became a central figure in our investigation for two key reasons. He communicated with individuals known to be Russian intelligence officers, and he claimed to advance knowledge of the WikiLeaks release of emails stolen by the intelligence officers, still trying. Rod Rosenstein, still political, still not in in any way willing to acknowledge the farce, the entire collusion hoax, still trying to tie stone to uh, what the uh, the Russian collusion hoax farce. But what I want to get to is contrast that. So the left is apoplectic, of course. Nancy Pelosi has already said she's going to introduce legislation to limit the president's power. She wants to limit the president's power to pardon because of Roger Stone. Contrast that with what Slick Willie did. Bill Clinton did the very last day of his two terms as president in 2001, early 2001, before W is going to take office, literally the last day. He commuted the sentence of a woman named Susan Ferguson. I meant to send Matt the wonderful picture of her, but I didn't get a chance to do that. But This is a woman, if you saw her picture, you might think, you know, she's kind of a college professor-looking person. You know, she's kind of, she looks kind of, you know, maybe intellectual-ish, but not, you know, not scary. Susan, I'm sorry, I think first, Susan Rosenberg. Susan Rosenberg. Her sentence commuted by President Clinton, and let me tell you about this delightful woman's past. She, Susan Rosenberg got convicted and sentenced for to 58 years in prison for her role in a terrorist operation to understand her background she this again susan rosenberg and we're going to get to why she matters today it's not just contrasting the kind of person trump would pardon versus what whom clinton would pardon but she has a huge role today in the political scene but here she is, Susan Rosenberg, joined the Weather Underground, other radical leftist groups in college, you know, uh, protested the Vietnam War. The Underground, this group she was involved with, founded to overthrow the U.S. government. That was the purpose of Weather Underground, through violent means, through attacking police and the military. She also uh, reached a peak when she and other radicals led the May 19th, communist organization they call them m9 themselves m19co the may 19th communist organization the nation's only female-led communist terror group helped break a convicted cop killer out of prison in 1979 organized a number of bombings around the country Uh, they also participated in the rockland county new york armed car robbery which left a guard and two police officers dead Rosenberg accused of being the getaway driver, although not convicted for that. Later, convicted. This is a woman on the lam for years, hiding from authorities. Finally, they caught up with her, and she was arrested. Actually, uh, because she was involved in, in the um, uh, she was involved in uh, loading a bunch of stolen bomb materials, explosive materials, and had thousands of fake ids with them so she was part of this group um, that was working to perpetuate this is after all the other stuff she did working to perpetuate their attacks on buildings in America, on the American government, the American military, uh, the, the, the police. This is a person determined to take down the government of the United States of America. Finally arrested uh, as she was caught at some U-Haul uh, with a U-Haul full of explosives. She'd read in a storage space under an assumed name. And... Even the owner of the storage space company said, There's something wrong with her. She's dressed in disguise. He'd call the police, turn out there she was unloading just massive amounts of explosive materials. Finally, finally arrested. Um, and she ended up being sentenced, as I say, to 58 years in prison. But President Bill Clinton commuted her sentence, let her go on the very last day of his presidency. Today, her role today is as the chief fundraiser for the Black Lives Matter organization. A terrorist, a someone dedicated to destroying America, to taking down America and the American government—that's her job now. She fundraises for the Black Lives Matter organization. To be very precise, she fundraises for a group that is the uh, kind of overarching fundraising type for the Black Lives Matter organization. It is called Thousand Currents, Thousand Currents. How do they end up coming up and sound like, you know, that sounds like maybe a lovely, uh, you know, restaurant along the ocean, you know, the beautiful currents of waves or something. It is a radical anti-American thing. She's the fundraiser. They fundraise for Black Lives Matter and that's who she is today. And I'll close out this first five by saying this. People can say that President Trump you know, kind of was unfair, giving, uh, giving Roger Stone a break. Maybe Roger Stone, you know, he wasn't really that great a guy. You know, uh, he maybe should have served some of his time. People can say that. But what he did as a federal crime contrasted with what Susan, our friend Susan, we were just talking about Susan Rosenberg did, are, are night and day. And ask yourself, not just, not just why she's free at all, Why would, of all the people in prison, why would Bill Clinton, on his way out the door, free someone like her? Freed someone clearly involved for decades of her life in organizations determined to take down the United States of America, determined to attack the military and police departments, Because people in this country try to give the Bill and Hillary Clinton team, the Clinton team, as a pass, like maybe somehow they were kind of more, you know, mainstream Democrats. They weren't extreme. You know, they were just kind of the the good guy Democrats, the old school Democrats. Nobody in their right mind is a, a if there is such a thing as an alleged mainstream Democrat, no mainstream Democrat person would choose to free that woman. She, the decision by President Clinton to commute Susan Rosenberg's sentence. This is a decision that he delayed till the very end because he knew how much criticism he would get, and this is a decision that tells you volumes how radically leftist the Clintons really are. You don't commute the sentence of someone involved in the killing, uh, in organizations that killed people, that attacked facilities around this country, police and military facilities that engaged in armed violent crime. You don't commute their sentence. You don't let them go as he did unless you're sympathetic with their mission. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. You know, actually, I'm going to do something else at the start of this next segment. Matt, I sent Matt the wonderful. This is what President Trump had to say this morning. I meant to play this. This is what Trump had to say about Roger Stone. I'll be sure and play that clip. We got, I think it's the very first one I sent you.
1: Roger Stone was treated horribly. Roger Stone was treated very unfairly. Roger Stone was brought into this witch hunt, this whole political witch hunt, and the Mueller uh, scam. It's a scam because it's been proven false. And he was treated very unfairly, just like General Flynn is treated unfairly, just like Papadopoulos was treated unfairly. They've all been treated unfairly. And what I did, what I did, I will tell you this. People are extremely happy because in this country, they want
0: justice. And Roger Stone was not treated properly. You got to love him. This is what president, why people love President Trump, why his supporters love him, because he's unafraid to say things. And you can't, I, I cut out all the media. Obviously, that was one of those you know, driveway of the White House pressers. I love those. He's actually walking off to get on Air Force One or get on Marine One, where I think he was on Marine One, going to uh, visit some uh, patients um, at the hospital in Washington, D.C., some military patients at Walter Reed Hospital. But this is President Trump seizing the opportunity as the uh, mob of the media is flinging questions at him, to strike out again, to point out what's happening to him. He has so few allies in the media and that people lined up outside the White House to harass him. I mean, I think he's actually settled on a quite brilliant form of his own involvement with the press. He's on the way out. He's not going to have a long uh, Q&A back and forth, these people attacking him, but he's given the press some access to him. I, I love these pressures myself. But that was what he had to say about Roger Stone, unapologetic. This is, these are not the words and the actions of a guy who's thinking, wow, you know, I really, I barely squeaked by on that uh, whole um, deal with uh, Russia collusion. I, I barely squeaked by. This is a guy who realizes he was attacked. He was mistreated. He was abused by the FBI, the DOJ, the media in our country. And he's saying, yeah, I was mistreated. So is Roger Stone. He deserved to have his sentence commuted, which was great. OK, now, on the second topic for today, I want to hit on um, Black Lives Matter, tyranny, and immunity. And I just want to try to get across this idea how much this matters. In our country, this precious country, we have this First Amendment, freedom of speech, everybody can speak everyone's supposed to have a right to to express their views to disagree with each other to engage in the robust debate of ideas that's kind of a big idea about western civilization and the idea of america where we are in this country because of the profound belligerence and relentlessness of the american left is that our very language our very culture our very ability to have conversations about this country is subject to the bullying of the left and especially the black lives matter movement which as we've been talking about in the show we're going to continue talking about in this show the black lives matter movement as in fact our uh, friend susan rosenberg is making clear for us the former weather ground underground bombing terror murderous bombing terrorist freed by president clinton now fundraising for black lives matter black lives matter the organization is not a pro-American organization. It is not a, let's keep America strong and free and improve our justice system. This is not an organization, even an iota committed to racial justice. Racial justice has nothing to do with BLM. BLM about is all about flat out left-wing tyranny takeover of this country. The organization, BLM, which is why they have a terrorist as their chief fundraiser. But what I want to talk about today is the impact on our culture and how important it is for people to speak up, to stand up, to not just be bullied by the, I mean, leftists generally in this speaking, it is a leftist in country intolerant of free speech, left setting rules on all sorts of issues where we will tell you the proper words to use, we will tell you the words you can never use again, we'll tell you the words that might get you in trouble if you dare utter them out loud. Black Lives Matter is all mixed up in that left-wing tyrannical silencing of speech in this country. So I wanna just give you some examples of this. There was a study done by professors, uh, they were uh, at Michigan State University, Professor Joseph Cesario, and University of Maryland at College Park, Professor David Johnson. They wrote a lengthy piece several years ago after doing an in-depth study of crime statistics in this country, an in-depth study of FBI crime statistics, of uh, statistics from states around this country. The point of it being they were trying to gather, instead of just people accepting whatever uh, truisms are thrown out or things that aren't true, whatever slogans People want to say about America, the police, the interaction of police with minority citizens. These people, professors, decided we're going to figure out the truth. We're going to get to actual data. So they came up with a study. These two two gentlemen uh, from these two schools came up with a study where they basically concluded, and here's our conclusion there is no evidence of anti black or anti Hispanic disparities across fatal police shootings. Let me say that for you again. Professors who studied actual data concluded there is no evidence of anti-black or anti-Hispanic disparities across fatal police shootings. They put their study out, obviously footnoted to the hilt, detailed where they got their data, and they went on. Another uh, thing they found is that black officers. Black police officers shoot black suspects at the same rate white officers do. So this whole effort of BLM to say, well, it's all these white officers shooting unarmed black citizens. This day saying, no, actually, actually, factually speaking, black officers shoot black suspects at the same rate that white officers do. And police, if anything, are more reluctant Police, if anything, are more reluctant to shoot non-whites. Police are reticent. Police are fearful. Police less likely to shoot non-whites. And so the, the, their findings, these factually, statistically uh, based findings, contradict the left-wing narrative that is fomenting riots across the country. Uh, current uh, situation with George Floyd... Everyone in their right mind in our country, of every race, ethnicity, national origin, political background, looks at that clip of what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis and are disgusted. They're, grat- they're grateful that there's a prosecution ongoing. Of that officer, grateful to know that that is unacceptable to the broad swath of America. Everybody knows this, but those riots that happened after George Floyd were fomented by and encouraged by the endless claim by leftists in this country that there is an epidemic of police officers shooting unarmed black men and that police are more likely to shoot unarmed black men. So this data I'm talking about has been out there for years. It has been quoted by numerous experts writing articles, trying to respond to accusations, respond to slogans that the left uses. But as you might imagine, The Black Lives Matter, the the bullying American left could not stand this study, could not stand the idea that facts do not comport with what they are trying to tell America is true. The left wants America to be hysterical in believing that there's just a shooting spree going on among police officers in this country against unarmed black men. And the last thing they need are actual facts and statistics that prove what they're trying to say is simply false. So that study, pummeled and pummeled by leftists in this country, criticized, and, and who knows what threats went on behind the scene. I don't know. But I'm telling you that this study was widely quoted, and just, I think yesterday, the authors of this study decided they announced they're retracting their study. They even went on to say, although our data and statistical approach were valid to estimate the question we actually tested, which was the race of civilians fatally shot by police, we thought the right decision was to retract the article. So I talk about bullying of the left, this is happening. They're bullying even when facts and truth back them up. And let me make something clear. You can accept these facts, as we should, and still say, we have a problem with police brutality in this country. We have some segment of police officers in this country that engage in excessive violence, that we always have to be vigilant and watching for it, that if we find situations like that, we have to be sure these officers are you know, called to task, they are retrained, they are fired, they may in some cases be prosecuted. You can stand up for, and this is where I am, and I think literally 95% of America is, you can say, we don't want police brutality. We don't want excessive violence. We want officers well-trained. We want officers, if it is justified, prosecuted. But we still want our police. And we can still deal with facts. We can deal with the facts that this study found. But the left, the last thing the American left can ever tolerate is an informed American society actually aware of facts. So this, the, the bullying of the left caused these people to say, OK, OK, we'll take it back. Never mind that we were right. Our statistics, were, our, statistics our, staff, our statistics were right, we're, we're going to retract the study. Next example, and this is just another example where I just think we have to be so vigilant to what happens to our country if we allow these things to happen. All of us watched the incident, uh, not as it occurred obviously, but later as the videos were played, Watch the incident that occurred in the Wendy's parking lot in Atlanta, Georgia. And that case, and we've had, we, in fact, we had Officer Brandon Tatum on this show, uh, co-founder of Blexit talking about this incident. We actually played the video, No, I think we didn't play the video, but you've seen the video, you can if you want to. Point being, Rayshard Brooks, the man, the black American man who was killed by a police officer in the parking lot of Wendy's, the police officer shot at him because Rayshard Brooks had, in, in, in the course of resisting arrest, and trying to grab the officer's gun, had grabbed the officer's taser gun. Rayshard Brooks grabbed the officer's taser, you know, ran off with it. He'd fired it once at the officer, and that's when the officer shot at him. So Rayshard Brooks, killed by police. No one likes these instances. No one ever, ever wants them to occur. But anyone in their right mind can see that that officer was shooting in self-defense. Yet the district attorney in Atlanta, <clears throat> excuse me, in Atlanta, DA Paul Howard, chose to bring charges against the officer, against the officer for for murder, for, for defending himself as Rayshard Brooks is aiming a taser gun at him. And the justification offered at the time by the DA was, well, you know, Rayshard Brooks only had a taser gun and, you know, that's not really, uh, that's not a lethal weapon. Fortunately for truth, and justice there is a video of this very same district attorney who justified charging the officer in the ray sharp brooks shooting but because a taser gun is not a lethal weapon same da on video two weeks earlier saying of course a taser gun is a lethal weapon so that guy that instance alone is another example i picked that one because it's recent because all of you probably know about it But the idea that our sense of justice in this country is bullied by leftists who simply have decided we're going to get our way, we're going to paint the picture for America that we are a deeply racist country, we're going to paint the picture of police out of control, we're going to demand prosecutions where none are justified, and this DA in the uh, state of Georgia uh, is now um, decided to go ahead and issue charges. There is a great interesting story out, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Uh, is engaged in a criminal investigation of the d- this district attorney, of the DA, Paul Howard. The reason for the investigation is that Paul Howard, they had the, uh, the uh, grand jury pulled together and then they had to suspend the grand jury due to COVID restrictions, coronavirus restrictions. And so the grand jury suspended and yet the DA was during that time issuing subpoenas when there's no grand jury uh, in action. And while that may be a technical violation, as against the law. When you don't have a grand jury, uh, a, an active grand jury, you can't be flinging off subpoenas. But this DA, in my opinion, so determined to find a way to get this officer willing to issue subpoenas when it's not legally permissible uh, is a just another sign of he's just got to get this guy. He knows his job as DA is not to follow the law, not to... Apply the law fairly, but to make sure you do what the Black Lives Matter movement is telling you, which is to go after a police officer who was apparently engaged in justified shooting. Uh, the other one I want to mention on this just this segment that relates to BLM tyr- tyranny and immunity one is that there is a um, double standard being applied with respect to COVID restrictions. And I have a little clip I sent to Matt the Wonderful. This is Mayor de Blasio of New York talking about how they have, a, they have cases rising, they may have to, they're, they're kind of moving forward with saying they're trying to restrict large groups meeting in public. This is what de Blasio had to say recently.
1: Big outdoor concerts and it means things like parades. You know, Things that here in the city can mean not just thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people It's just not time for that now. What about protests? If people want to march down Fifth Avenue, are they going to be allowed to do so? Look, Wolf, this is always an area of real sensitivity. If you're just talking about health, we would always say, hey folks, you know, stay home if you can. But we understand at this moment in history, people are talking about the need for historic changes. I mean, today in New York City, you know, recognizing the power and the meaning of the message Black Lives Matter, which we did in front of Trump Tower today, Uh, This is a historic moment of change. We have to respect that, but also say to people, the the kinds of gatherings we're used to, the the parades, the fairs, we just can't have that while we're focusing on health right now.
0: Allow me to translate that for you into English. COVID restrictions mean no parades, no get-togethers, no picnics until the fall, until September in New York, except that Black Lives Matter are immune from these COVID restrictions. And you know it's not really because COVID can't spread in groups like that, it's because when you're a leftist, everything Black Lives Matter wants, must, you just salute. De Blasio is recognizing Black Lives Matter, they wanna protest in New York, they wanna be out there with marches, and the last thing he's gonna do is limit them, even though the rest of the city is limited. I'm telling you of uh, this, this, this theme, this, this thread of just intense, tyranny by leftists in this country, intense tyranny, especially on behalf of Black Lives Matter, is rampant, it is unjust, and it should be called out. I don't know if anyone in New York City is going to protest this, but the idea that you can't have a parade over any other subject, uh, you can't have a, a big picnic outside, you can't have the kind of events, but you're going to let this group continue, this cannot be. If there ever was just a in-your-face... In contradiction of the right of free speech and reasonable restrictions on speech must be, comp- must be applied evenly, just it, totally in the face of the, Amer- of the American people, the people of New York. Black Lives Matter is immune from the rest of the rule of law from the rest of us. Another thing that happened on this, I, I just on this theme, I think it's so important to understand. Yes, individual with no capitalized letters in the sentence, individual Black Lives Matter individual lives matter. Everyone's life matters. Life matters. And the death of any law, anyone, especially the unjustified, violent death of anyone matters. But tell that to the woman. There's a, a girl in the state of Texas. We most unfortunately had a, a two police officers really kind of ambushed over the weekend. Two police officers in Texas killed in McAllen, Texas. And the daughter of one of them was tweeting about her dad. I mean, they're very, I, I could probably can't even read them out loud without getting teary, so I won't. But you know, she lost her dad. She's tweeting about her dad, what a great guy he was, and he believed in her, and she'll always be her princess. And she put in one of her tweets, honoring her late father, she said, um, words can't describe the pain I'm in. I'm glad my dad is at peace. You're an amazing man. Anyone who ever came across you knew that. I'm going to miss you so much. You died doing what you love most. You died a hero. I love you, Daddy. See you soon. Hashtag Blue Lives Matter. So you might imagine the Twitter mob, again with this tyranny of the left, tyranny of Black Lives Matter, piled on her on Twitter. She took the tweet down because she's getting criticized by, you're not allowed to say Blue Lives Matter. You're not allowed to say police officers' lives matter. You're not allowed to say anything else than black lives matter you can't say all lives matter you can only say what the left tells you you can say so this sweet little girl had to take down her tweet about her own dad being shot in an ambush shot and killed because she said blue lives matter and before i leave this topic on a uh, i'll tell you a little bit more positive note about it is that there was a great story and again you can see this story at our website america talk.org on the home page under shows drop down list of links You can see this great story, which was there are a growing number of Blue Lives Matter or Back the Blue Rallies spreading across the country. People in this country not okay with defund the police, not okay with Black Lives Matter, hate the police, destroy the police, and the police not okay with a vast swath of americans these were really heartwarming i should have sent those pictures into but really heartwarming pictures you know patriotic americans of all ages and backgrounds you know pretty much red white and blue kind of flags waving standing up for police officers in this country police under the assault of the american left and i want to say uh, one last thing in closing out this topic and it's a really important point yes sometimes police engage in things that are not okay I mean, and and we investigate, we prosecute, we, whatever has to happen, we do that. But the mission of the Black Lives Matter movement is not to correct police behavior. It is not to uplift police behavior. The Black Lives Matter movement is integrally tied to the Marxist destroy, take down America movement. When the Black Lives Matter movement criticizes police or gets hysterical about a young girl who's lost her dad and saying blue lives matter, they are telling you who they are. They are showing you who they are. The people who are saying you can't say blue lives matter are and, and, and very, at the you know most innocent of explanations are trying to stress only Black Lives Matter can be discussed right now because Black Lives Matter is about, you know, a exposure of police brutality. It's the only topic. Anyone saying White Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter is trying to take away our spotlight, take away our, you know, we want to be the center of attention. Blue, Black Lives Matter is the only thing we're allowed to be talking about. At the very top level, they're just saying, this is the topic of the day. Black Lives Matter. No one else can point out anything else. but. What's worse than that is that the Black Lives Matter movement hysteria about pro-police parades or the pro-police slogan, Blue Lives Matter, is because what is at the root of the Black Lives Matter movement, the root of the leftist Marxist destruction of this country, it truly would be the elimination of police as an institution, as an organization of our society that helps retain law and order in America, that helps retain the entire system of the rule of law in America. When you're a leftist and you hate America and you hate the idea of America and you hate the concept of America and you hate the rule of law in America, anything that symbolizes the law or stands up for the law is offensive to you. They're offended. They are offended because they don't like the idea that these People are defending an instrument and implement a means of keeping America a civilized and civil society. The hatred of the police is not simply because of a number of instances that they claim have constituted police brutality. And there, have, of course, have been instances of police brutality. But that's not why the Black Lives Matter movement, the Marxist in this country... are are critical of the police. They're critical of the police because the police stand for, their institution standing for holding America together, having a country that survives under the rule of law. That's why the leftists hate so much the idea that people are standing up for the police because it, it it, it interferes with their ability, their determination, their mission to destroy the very concept of America as founded under a rule of law. Two last topics I want to hit today. Uh, one is I want to talk about the great Thomas Sowell, and I'm kind of kicking myself I didn't get a picture of him. Thomas Sowell is a, a he's now at the Stanford University Hoover Institution. It is a is a you know an island of conservatism in the radically left Stanford University, an island of rational conservatism at Stanford, the Hoover Institution. He's a writer there. He's a black American. As a young man, he was a leftist. He was very much a leftist, very much kind of an anti-American leftist. And he was a guy who found his way out of that crazy and into and support of the idea of America. This is what this guy did. And now he became one of the most famous economists in America. He's a prolific writer, prolific writer of books and all sorts of just great, great things. And uh, he had an interview on The Mark Levin Show. So Thomas Sowell, interviewed on The Mark Levin Show, said some things that were just extremely profound, and I want to share them with you. This is a guy, he's in his 80s, and he might even be early 90s, but in his 80s at least, a guy who is you know, well-educated, he's Dr. Sowell, he's a doctor of economics, he's an economist, he's a writer, he has exposed so much about the radical left in this country And in a a rare interview he did in the Mark Levin Show, he said some things that all of us need to understand because they're really, really, really important. One is, he talked about the phrase being used so commonly, so popularly by the leftists in this country, systemic racism or systemic oppression. And he said, you hear it on college campuses. You hear it from very wealthy and fabulously famous sports stars. But what does it mean? whatever it means, and whatever you think it means, is it really true. And he went on to say, it really has no meaning. It has no meaning that can be specified or tested in a way that one tests hypotheses. In fact, he went on to say, it reminds him of the propaganda tactics used in the Hitler era by Joseph Goebbels during the age of the Nazis, because Goebbels was famous for saying, People will believe any lie if it's repeated long enough and loud enough. And he talked about the idea, this is one of the terms, systemic racism, that is used by the left because it sounds like it's been a a complex ideological concept, must have been researched and studied and proven and documents prove it. And it sounds like it must be a thing because the left uses it and it has a kind of intellectual name to it. He's saying there's nothing to it. There's no meaning to it. It is a term used to bully people into silence. And when he can say this, Dr. Thomas Sowell can say this on a show that maybe you, know, maybe you don't listen to or you didn't hear that interview, but he can say it in a way that most Americans can not. And he actually talked about, is one of the words, this is Sowell again, talking about the use of the term systemic racism, It's one of the many words I don't even think people who use it have any clear idea what they're saying. Their purpose is served by having other people cave in. And this is what's happening in our country, this extension, this idea of being bullied by the left you are talked about systemic racism. People go, well, if it's systemic racism, that sounds really bad. OK, tell us what we have to do. He said that he's talking about the people using it, the leftists using the systemic racism turn. They claim they want equality for all. They claim that there will be a withering away of the state. This is his idea. This is what I was talking about a moment ago about people not liking the Blue Lives Matter slogan uh, because they don't want the idea of police being elevated as important. So back to Seoul. he's saying, they claim, these leftists claim, there'll be the withering away of the state, the police departments, reimagine law enforcement. And yet every time you look at a Marxist state, it's author, author, excuse me authoritarian, top-down, centralized police state. He goes on to say to Thomas Sowell, says, I have no idea what they mean. I'm not sure that they have any idea what they mean, in the sense that you can ask him for a factual question and get a factual answer. A brilliant, brilliant observation by Thomas Sowell, and a really important thing to keep in mind in this conversation, which will happen between now and Election Day, and frankly, for now and decades to come in this country, even fancy-sounding terms—systemic racism, institutional racism—all sorts of terms that give intellectual clout or the presumption of an intellectual backing behind it—they're used by leftists, as Sowell is saying to force people to cave in, to force people to just agree with whatever they want them to agree with. Last big important thing Sol said in this interview is, if we, if the conservatives lose the elections in 2020, if we actually lose the White House to Joe Biden or whoever's really gonna be president because he is mentally, Compromise. He's no longer able to function. He is suffering from some form of dementia. Joe Biden is unable to formulate a sentence, but someone will be running it, even if he's the figurehead standing there. But if Biden wins and you have Democrat control of the House and Senate, as Thomas Sowell described it, we may reach the point in this country, the point of no return. We won't be able to get our country back. I want you to think about this because people can say oh my gosh souls being a little bit melodramatic people what we saw happen to this country under eight years of president obama we saw how a leftist operates leftists fill institutions powerful institutions in our country powerful uh, parts of the federal government, the FBI, and the Department of Justice, and the State Department, the Department of Labor, and the NSA—all sorts of organizations—filled by Obama with radical leftists who agree with his radical leftist Marxist ideology. This is why it has been so hard when President Trump won—and you know, fortunately for America and the world—President Trump won. Hard to uproot those people. How hard to get the country righted again? hard to get America back on track because even if President Trump can't issue executive orders and he can get a lot done by executive orders, the entire massive administrative state in Washington that has to be moved along, that has to be brought along with his policy changes are filled, is, are filled with Obama, Marxist, leftist holdovers who do not want to do the agenda the return to america as free america as sovereign america as great the america first agenda these leftists do not want that and so it's been very very hard for president trump in this first three plus years to even begin getting and he's done a lot i mean i I give great credit for what he has accomplished but i'm telling you when leftists get power they don't just put their policies in place for four years and eight years, and then wait to see what policies the American people really want to vote into place, and then respect the right of the American people to choose their government. Leftists think they are supposed to substitute their judgment, their mission, their policies, their goals. They're supposed to substitute their mission for whatever agenda the American people appear to have voted for. America votes for things by choosing candidates, choosing elected officials and saying, yes, we want this, we want America first, we want a secure border, we want to have a government that actually follows the law, we want to have strong manufacturing in America, we want jobs in America, we want to have companies coming back to America, all those kind of policy things, President Trump ran on and he is trying to put in place, but you see what happens to this country when people who simply, at the very heart of it, leftists, the anti-American left in this country, they do not believe in the idea of America, they do not believe in the values of America's founding, and they do not believe that the people of America have the right to choose their leaders and then march forward and have those leaders do the policies, in, you know, put in place, to implement the policies that they ran on. Leftists think, I don't care what we, I know better than the American people, I don't care what they think, I don't care what they voted for, If leftists get their way, they will put the leftist agenda into place. They will implement it because that's what they think their goal is. They don't think their goal is to listen to the American people. It is to impose leftism on this country. And so when Thomas Sowell says, back to him, when he says it may be the point of no return, He's observed and commented numerous times, this black American economist has commented numerous times about how much damage President Obama did to our country, how much damage. He did by his radical leftist policies and the many, many ways he tried to weave those policies and and like snakes slithering into the federal government, getting themselves rooted in. And so when a new administration comes along, you can't undo what the left was trying to do. Thomas Sowell is not engaged in hyperbole. He's not exaggerating when he says we could actually be at the point of no return if we have a Biden victory. In this in the fall elections, because leftists will do what leftists do, which is always push their radical leftist agenda. Biden is not the milquetoast, moderate, old school throwback Democrat that he and the Democrats who are running his campaign are trying to convince America he is. Biden is, as first of all, he's not even there immensely. But if he were, he has been as leftist. He served as as just think about this. Biden served as Obama's VP for eight years immersed in the Obama agenda, never criticized it, never questioned, never said, hey, you know, that's kind of like a socialist idea, Mr. President. You know, I thought this is America. Never did. Went right along with Obama for eight years. So Thomas Sowell, he is right when he says we really, really need to think about what America would turn into if in the 2020 elections, we managed to have a Democrat victory by Biden, it really could be the point of no return. Because leftists always try not just to stick the people into place, that will perpetuate their agenda no matter how the next election comes out. If they try to put their policies in place, they try to put their assumptions in place, they push the policies that will get them to where they want to go. That's what leftists do in this country. And that's what, as one little example we talked about many times, what Obamacare was. Obamacare was intentionally written to be very, 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 very hard to repeal. It was intentionally written, with just intertangled snake-like tentacles into all sorts of federal agencies and laws, many, many agencies and laws uh, overlapping and integrated, making it virtually impossible to undo. We still may get there, but I'm telling you, this is what leftists do, this is what Biden will do. Okay, one last story I wanna hit, speaking of what leftists always do, I want to talk about where we are on the Mueller, uh, well, it's not the Mueller investigation, but where we are on the effort of America, of the Department of Justice, to get to the root of what in the world happened inside the DOJ, inside the FBI, when they decided to launch prior to the election of 2016, a completely unjustified investigation, a a cooked up allegations against President Trump's team. We now know nothing to the Russian dossier at all, a complete work of fiction, yet relied upon to get FISA warrants, those FISA warrants used ultimately to just spy on the Trump team So this investigation that Attorney General Barr is saying they are doing, the investigation is for, and this is obviously John Durham doing the investigating, but Barr is saying into both the 2016 investigation, uh, what happened up before the election, how they justify what they're doing, then the ongoing effort after the election to continue this astonishing, breathtaking witch hunt against President Trump. And I'm telling you people, it all ties back. The determination of the FBI and DOJ to go after Trump pre-election and post-election, it all goes back to this idea I keep drumming away at, which is Obama did not simply get elected to be the head of the Democrat Party and put forward more you know, Democrat-type agendas. He was elected, his mission in getting there was to turn this country to a radical left turn toward Marxism and he thought hillary clinton very much the leftist also would get elected and she would continue his policies and president trump posed a threat to them they could see in 2016 when hillary couldn't get three people to come to a school gym for a a a speech or rally she wanted to do and trump was filling stadiums for enormous rallies throughout 2016 the obama team and the hillary team could see wow this guy is popular with the people, number one. And number two, he's not talking about the leftist agenda that the the Democrats were trying to put in place. He's talking about America first, restoring sovereignty, restoring jobs, cutting the power of the federal government, draining the swamp. These were scary, scary speeches Obama and his team were listening to. So his administration goes after him. The Obama administration goes after Trump, and all the players in place doing it. So here we sit now in July of 2020, we have this investigation ongoing and there's a lot of little hints coming out. Like, you know, we're doing the best we can. Durham is really doing the best he can, but there is a lot to be figured out about this. And, you know, we don't, we we think that it'll probably be done uh, before the election, but you know, uh, maybe some of this won't come out until after, you know, we'll just see Durham. will have to see what he can do. People, we cannot let we cannot let the doj the fbi get away with what they did we cannot even bar and durham's i don't i'm not saying i still will hold out hope that they're actually pursuing an honest investigation and want to bring it out before the election because you're hearing some people on the left argue, well, you know, if Durham brings out his findings before the election and a bunch of Democrats get indicted, a bunch of people inside the FBI and DOJ who are Democrat plants and they get indicted, you know, this is interfering with the fairness of the fall elections. You can't have these Democrats indicted because obviously it's intended to sway the election. And that is the false argument. It's important to know why it is failing to bring those indictments before the fall election that would be interference with the election. The Democrats want nothing more than to keep this hidden, to keep all of this hidden from the American people. If you listen to my show, you've been following, you know what's happening. The average Joe American, I do not know, but the left wants more than anything else to drag everything about Barr and Durham and even Michael Flynn, we'll get to him in a moment past Election Day with the fond hope that they can cheat their way into the White House, that they'll have Biden elected, and all this goes away, and it'll be a blip in history that no one will ever read about again. This is the Democrat dream. I want to remind you a quick thing that Attorney General Barr said. Uh, this was a clip from um, a couple quick warm-ups, uh, warm-ups about this. Uh, he said, Attorney General Barr said about the Durham investigation in April, he said, the evidence shows so far we're not dealing with just mistakes or sloppiness. Uh, he also talks about, uh, he said later in June, developments likely in the Durham investigation in this summertime, so maybe over the summer. So people are waiting. Well, okay, when's it coming? When's it coming? I'll play a quick clip of uh, Attorney General Barr talking about what the real purpose of this entire effort to get Trump carried out by the Obama, DOJ, and FBI
1: to be frustrated because I think what happened to him was one of the greatest travesties in American history. Without any basis uh, they uh, started this investigation of his campaign uh, and even uh, more concerning actually is what happened after the campaign, the whole pattern of events while he was president. Uh, So I had to sabotage the presidency and uh, I I think that, uh, or at least had the effect of sabotaging the presidency
0: okay you know there are a lot more clips i can play and i need to wrap up the show today but i want to make this point about that attorney general Barr has now said these wasn't sloppy it wasn't mistakes clear up evidence to sabotage the presidency there has to be and you the american people we the american people we must insist that there is justice because the idea is not our guy should win versus their guy should win. The American justice system should win. The American justice system must have a rule of law that applies to everyone, including all the actors and players inside the DOJ and FBI. And I'll close out this segment by reminding you, or I'm sure you're probably aware, but uh, Judge Emmett Sullivan, the Washington, D.C. District Court judge, trial judge. And the Lieutenant General Michael Flynn prosecution has now said, has now decided that he is—he was ordered by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, the appellate court, a three-judge panel. He was ordered to say and told uh, in response to a writ of mandamus filed by Lieutenant General Flynn's attorney, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ordered Fl- Sullivan to say you must dismiss all charges against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. This is what the DOJ is asking you to do. This is what justice is. This is how our system works. The prosecutor, we have branches of government. The prosecutor, part of the executive branch, has said, you need to dismiss all charges. We're dropping all charges. Sullivan, in the different branch of government, the judicial branch, he's a judge, is saying, I don't think so. I think I'm going to act like a prosecutor. I'm going to look into whether other charges could maybe be brought. Maybe I can get him prosecuted myself for something else. He is totally unjustified. There is no justification at all in law for what this judge is doing. So because he refused, Emmett Sullivan refused to follow the DOJ who actually filed the motion. The Department of Justice filed a motion saying you've got to dismiss all charges because all sorts of wrongdoing has now come out that happened inside the DOJ. So you have DOJ dismiss charges, Sullivan won't do it, goes up to the Circuit Court of Appeals, three-judge panel tells him you have to dismiss those charges, Sullivan. You have no right to continue a prosecution that the prosecution doesn't want to prosecute. So now Sullivan has decided to appeal that three-judge ruling to the entire D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. It's called en banc. It means the whole lineup of them. So on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, I quick checked for you uh, where we are. We have 11 judges. And it shouldn't matter, but it makes all the difference in the world. That D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is made up of four judges appointed by Republicans, uh, one by Bush, uh, two by Bush, and two by Trump, So D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, four of the 11 appointed by Republicans, and seven of the 11 appointed by Democrats, either Clinton or Obama. And this is a very sad commentary on where we are in this country, because I can tell you that D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals will decline to follow the law. There is no other right answer than to order the judge to dismiss all charges. It is the only answer our system allows. But that Circuit Court of Appeals, in my estimation, my surmise, will find some reason to refuse to order to, to refuse to follow the law, to refuse to order the judge to dismiss the charges. which will then get us so they'll issue their order that goes back down to him and then'll have to be Flynn's attorneys making a special appeal to the Supreme Court. Understand the agenda here. The goal is of course, to try to drag out the Flynn prosecution till after the fall elections. The expectation that if Biden wins, if Biden wins, all of this gets swept under the rug, all of the wrongdoing by the DOJ gets swept under the rug, and the end of all of this effort to get the charges dropped against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. This is a travesty of our, this is a completely political manipulation of our criminal justice system, a travesty in our system. It's a travesty that at this point, most people looking at the informed people looking at the Circuit Court of Appeals realize: oh, they have seven judges appointed by the Democrats and only four by the Republicans. Okay, Democrats win. Therefore, Sullivan will not be forced to follow the law. We'll keep we'll keep an eye on that i don't know but it's a very very uh troubling thing and very troubling because you can see the agenda is dragging out past the election day in november okay my friends we're about out of time here as i do at the close of every show i try to tell you why the stories tell you again why the stories you talked about today matter to you so we started today's show with roger stone and susan rosenberg Consider bill clinton's pardon of susan rosenberg she was an avowed terrorist a member of a group advocating overthrow of the U.S. government, a participant in plans to blow up federal facilities and assassinate policemen, arrested while in possession of hundreds of pounds of explosives and thousands of fake IDs, by the way. After her pardon, she's now vice chair of the nonprofit partnered with the Marxist BLM. Contrast that with Roger Stone, convicted of a process crime at the tail end of the failed Russian collusion hoax. No effort, no evidence. He did anything for or with Russia. No prior criminal record. Corrupt Mueller team arranged a SWAT team overkill arrest, and tipped off CNN to video it. Tucker. Oh, I even mentioned this. Tucker Carlson documented all of this, and YouTube took down his uh, his. His video to telling the story, Americans must connect these dots. The mainstream media is entirely a leftist propaganda arm. They're in fact, they are in fact, as Trump often calls them, the enemy of the truth and of the American people. As to Black Lives Matter tyranny and immunity, Black Lives Matter is an admitted Marxist organization. As bullying tactics must be resisted. Mainstream um, MSU, Michigan State University, published 100% legitimate academic study documenting police behavior. BLM forced a retraction because the study didn't support the systemic racism narrative. New York City Mayor de Blasio cites COVID, outlaws all outdoor public gatherings, except BLM protests, pure leftist dictatorship, no logic, no public health rationale. And the daughter of a slain Texas cop tweets Blue Lives Matter and faces a Twitter mob opposition forced to take down a tweet about her own dad. Americans must rise up and resist the radical leftist Marxist BLM organization, which is not about helping blacks in America. Bullying always continues until good people stand up. Good news, Back the Blue rallies are spreading around the US. Americans as a whole do not want elimination or defunding of the police. And on Thomas Sowell, race, BLM race in America, 90. Oh, he's 90. Okay. 90-year-old Thomas Sowell is one of the world's wisest and most knowledgeable people on the subject of economics, race, and America. Sowell's life journey growing up in Harlem as a black leftist and ultimately becoming one of America's most esteemed scholars ought to be mandatory reading for all Americans. Sowell is a role model for the human race. Tremendous integrity, humility, courage, soul has sounded a warning systemic racism has no meaning it's a pure leftist propaganda construct that's accompanied by totalitarian bullying that will not permit discussion or questioning the failure to re-elect trump in 2020 may really be the point of no return for america and finally on durham sullivan and justice must win emma sullivan is transparently gaming the system pushing for leftist majority of the D.C. Circuit Court to grant en banc review of his grossly dishonest extrajudicial persecution and I mean persecution and prosecution of Michael Flynn, attempting to sustain Flynn legal jeopardy past election in the hopes that Biden wins and persecution and prosecution can be completed. Obamagate has reached a critical mass, and people I didn't get to much today, Obama is at the head of and behind all of this. Americans must refuse to accept anything other than complete accountability. is the most egregious abuse of power in American history by far. The scope of culpability includes uniparty senators and congressmen, Barr and Durham must deliver justice based on the truth of what happened, Millions of Americans must refuse any kick the can or wrist slap result. Indictments, trials, and jail time must be imposed on the culpable. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. we talk truth
1: about America.